0: Canada has welcomed the digital economy like few other countries, but we're still reliant on physical identity documents to access government services or complete high-value transactions. Interact is working to address this gap and make a secure, convenient, and private-enhancing digital ID ecosystem a reality for Canadians. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hey everyone, it's Thursday, April 18th. I've got Shannon Proudfoot of McLean's and David Revely of the Canadian Press here with me in studio. Hello to you both. Hello. Hi. We are recording today because we've got a long weekend ahead of us and we'll be out of the studio tomorrow. Um, so we were just talking about Easter meals. What is the favorite, is there a favorite tradition? Anything we're looking forward
1: to? I mean, eating is one for me. Oh uh, yeah, eating is good. I, I was just saying I, I've started making my grandma's stuffing and I love it because the recipe from my mom is literally like some of this and a little more of that. <laughs> a little sprinkle but, of that. But the best part is I know when I've gotten the recipe right when it starts to smell right. Like it's just this mm. pure sense memory. It's It's very cool. I, yes. I find it really satisfying.
0: That's a real. That's that's a very cook thing to say. It's just, It's just the sense you get. You know, haven't
2: yeah. you, Jada? Uh, Easter in my family has always been a, a bit of a mess. Okay, um, <laughs> because well, on my mother's side we're Ukrainian, and the tradition is to follow the Julian calendar. So this is the weekend when a bunch of schismatics who don't really do things right pretend it's Easter. Oh, okay. But actual Easter is later, except that actual Easter is not the Easter that everybody has off, so it's right. very inconvenient to celebrate oh, Easter then. So it's always kind of been a bit of this and a bit yes, of that uh, right. on on the Orthodox Easter. Uh, that was always a very big deal, and there was a big lunch at my grandparents' house and with blessed eggs and and wow. things that had been taken to the church and Pascha the oh bread and all gosh, that kind of thing. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, it was a big. That's a big deal. It was a deal. lot of work and yeah. I even when I was a kid I was aware of how much work it was yeah. for the grown-ups. It's also birthday season in my family. It's oh. my son's and my mother's birthdays just oh, in the past week. Okay, fun. So there's kind of a lot going on. It's we're going to have though. we're going to have people it's like over. Like fun
0: chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay cool. That's going to be good. So it's just nice to have a bit of a break too. Um, so we got a Big lineup today. Uh, First up, Alberta is welcoming in new leadership. United Conservative Party leader Jason Kenney defeated outgoing Premier Rachel Notley on Tuesday night in a majority win. Within maybe like an hour of polls closing, it was clear Kenney had gained enough votes to to boot the NDP government out, bringing a familiar color, a a, a familiar blue hue back into power, the conservative blue. The same color of the pickup truck Mr. Kenney drove into the United Conservative Party headquarters set up at the Calgary Stamp Uh, zone
1: on election day which was quite a that all seems a little on the nose if I was a (laughs) script writer I might have pulled back 10% on the symbolism but okay sure whatever (laughs) you do you Alberta you do you Alberta yeah
0: he got up on stage and a few um, thank you finger points and belted out a, uh, a few simple words many Albertans very much wanted to hear Alberta is open for business so let's unpack that a little bit. What does he mean by that statement? Um it might seem obvious but like let's explain what what does that mean? Is it Related exactly to the economy, I guess. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. and
2: Alberta's economy has taken some nasty hits the past few years. The price of oil has not been as high as one would like uh, if one is in the oil business, and that has been really, really tough. And it's essentially been, been, I think, two recessions, technical recessions that the rest of Canada has not experienced, and lots of people have been thrown out of work. And it's been really rough. And Mm -hmm. that has coincided with an NDP government for the first time in Alberta history, Mm -hmm. which has focused on uh, inequality Mm -hmm. and more social programs on education, on raising the minimum wage, on uh, sticking with the carbon tax, which Mm -hmm. was brought in by the previous progressive conservative government, but uh, the NDP has stuck with. And I think there is a sense, accurate or not fair or not, that that has not worked. And mm-hmm. all that has actually been the, the cause of Alberta's trouble. And I mean, the truth is, it to my mind, much of Alberta's economy just depends on the price of oil and whatever else is going on. You can you can credit this policy or that policy or blame this policy right. or that policy, uh, but basically it's about how much oil costs, yeah. and that is not something that the government can do a whole lot about, but what we see is a, a, a government that has been... The most left wing government since, I mean, the Social Credit Party had some pretty left wing elements in it, but basically the most left wing government, certainly in modern uh, Alberta history. And there's a sense that Rachel Notley was anti business and anti the Alberta advantage and anti rugged individualism, right. and that that's hurt. And Jason Kenney's going to bring that back.
0: Which is funny because she did have a pretty clear economic strategy going into it. She did.
1: I mean, her campaign was sort of about diversifying, like the idea that we need to have more strength in the Alberta economy so that if oil prices are tanking, we have more to rely on. I think, I find the parallels to Ontario quite remarkable. And Mm -hmm. I think when you have a province that's, this wasn't quite the case in Ontario, sort of an economic um, recession, but when you have a population that feels besieged and frightened and angry and disadvantaged... Mm -hmm. I think it was almost inevitable that there would be sort of a backlash vote, yeah. that, that whatever government was in power, and I'm not saying that they did or did not do the right things, there there was a feeling of, of fear and anger and of Alberta mm-hmm. getting a raw deal, and that sort of leads to, I don't want to say a protest vote, but the, but the, the view that, that you need something different and this sort of Change, very yeah. profoundly, overtly pugilistic kind of approach that Jason Kenney brought to the campaign. Actually, David, I'd like to reference a thing you wrote back when you were a columnist that I, it's one of those things that stuck in my head as a brilliant piece of political analysis that mm-hmm. I Oh, do go think on of, oh, all please, the time, let's do on. But I remember when we were when you were writing um, during the Ontario election about Doug Ford's plan to um, boot out the six million dollar man in Hydro One, and and you kind of unpacked in, in very processy ways how getting rid of that dude who made yes an enormous salary was not going to lower hydro prices. But the kind of money line that I always think of is if seeing a rich guy punched in the face is what you want, Doug Ford's fist is cocked for you. And I think that is a lot of the sentiment that's been going on in Alberta. Right. It's not you know there are these very specific policy pieces that maybe we'll get into that that Kenny is is trotting out and says he's going to start on like on day one, three weeks from now when they open the legislature. But I think it's maybe more a feeling of He's as mad as we are. He feels like we're getting yeah. screwed over the same way we do. This kind of conciliatory, maybe working with the feds tone from Notley was just yeah, not scratching th- the itch in Alberta right now.
0: I think you're right. And even though, I mean, we talked about this last week. I think it was her her slogan is like fighting for you or something. So I mean, she was trying to instill that 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 fighter symbolism in her in her message. But I, yeah, I, I think ultimately people chose him as as their. As their boxer, and yes, yeah. um, and, and in uh, this corner, yeah, and in this corner. But we were also talking last week too about how Kenny actually. Um, it's funny that he's being framed as this like I'm I'm on the ground with these people and we're rallying together because he was kind of you know he's, he's been a politician he, he's his been entire poli- exactly. life. Exactly,
2: he has been a he's been a politician. He's been a, a political backroomer. He was part of the National Citizens Coalition, uh, I believe, uh, which is sort of a right wing pressure group yeah. um, and this is this is what he's been forever yeah. I, I, I've met him a couple of times very briefly I don't know him at all but the very first time I met him he was squiring around Stockwell Day who was then the Alberta That's Treasurer right. running for the federal uh, conservative leadership and this is lord it's almost 20 years ago now but this is what he's Done. This
0: is his. This is and crap. so he
2: knows politics. Yeah. and I'm not. I, I've always been very skeptical of people who think, "Oh, we need a bunch of outsiders to do this," because politics requires successful politics and government. I think require very specific skills yeah. that outsiders rarely have. Uh, and so he's been a very effective politician. Yeah. He has achieved a lot politically just in the last few years. He yeah. came in, took over the Progressive Conservative Party, merged it with the Wild Rose Party, won that leadership, has now won an election. That That's phenomenal. A man of the people who came up from the bottom, he is not particularly.
0: <laughs> right. So how is he Said you know, okay, we're open for business. How is he, I mean, I imagine now Albertans are going to kind of look, to, kind of like the, the way... Americans looked at Trump like, okay, you've promised a lot of this stuff, so like, what's the next step? Like, yeah. How are we going to do this?
1: And to David's point, if a lot of the economy rests on oil prices that no government can really control – You have to wonder, I mean, we'll have to see as he puts these policies into place what effect they have. But if six months or a year or two years from now, things are no better, you're sort of setting yourself up for disenchantment in the electorate if you promise to be their savior. But he he is kind of coming in hard right out of the gate. He says, Mm. I think he said this morning uh, or yesterday morning, pardon me, in a a press conference, sort of uh, act number one is get rid of the carbon tax. Um, Then it's his Open for Business Act, which has to do with sort of um, making changes to minimum wage and... Mm. and, um, um, like workplace conditions and, and things that that the NDP sort of boosted up that, that in Kenny's opinion, are sort of hamstringing small businesses or medium-sized businesses in Alberta. Um, I forget what the third of, the, of his sort of immediate policy right. um, kind of priorities was, but it seems like a very kind of Fordian approach yeah. to immediately come in and take action.
2: I, I think getting a lot done in the first during the honeymoon period is is a, a strategy that has worked very well for a lot of people. You've got tons of political yeah. capital. You haven't screwed anything up yet. You've been elected to do a bunch of things before people forget. Mm-hmm. Just charge in and do them. I think this is a, a, a point where Kenny's political skills and his history, having been a federal government minister, his knowledge of how governments work, I think will serve him really well. I think yeah. he comes into that job with a lot of experience that Doug Ford, for example, did Didn't, not have in Ontario.
0: Sure. Right, and it's like... It, the way Doug Ford actually was successful, though, in those early months is, like, he made campaign promises that were easy to achieve subsequently, like the bucket beer thing. Like, the, he, he made little uh, promises that he was able to get through pretty quick.
2: They were very small promises. promises. Or very vague yeah. promises that you were not – it was very hard to hold him to anything. Right. I mean, Bucket Beer, yeah, I think you can still get one brand for a buck somewhere. <laughs> it was very showy, do but didn't Do you want stick. to drink that Listen, if people want cheap beer, people can drink cheap beer. Sure. But there's one, I you know, there's going to be Bucket Beer again, yeah, as sure. I say. I think there's one.
0: Yeah, I know, yeah, I yeah. know. So how did, so Notley in her concession speech, I mean, I think they – um is, she, is is the NDP the only government that's only had one
1: term yes. in in, Alberta, in his, Alberta history, or at least recent history, like the last four decades
2: or so? Right. Yeah. I mean, there were the, the progressive conservatives for 44 years, yeah. right. social credit for a long time before that. So there might, might actually, have been a populist party or two in the, I want to say, 1910s, 1920s, wow. maybe.
1: So, this so is, they might actually be, I think it was the only one term Alberta geez. government in okay. history. Yeah. So I mean that
0: that's a blow and she's lost many many seats. Um was her
1: what was her tone in that in that concession speech? She was she was really highlighting I think her tone was sort of twofold. Look at all the things we've accomplished, she said at one point explicitly, we have changed Alberta permanently for the better. I think she was trying to build a case of we have nudged the province in a more progressive direction right. that cannot be wholly undone by this new right. government that has an extremely diametrically opposed uh, different kind of approach. She highlighted sort of the the inequality efforts that that David talked about, you know, education, Mm. healthcare, uh, minimum wage, um, you know, children's programs, things like that. And then she sort of bridged that to saying... And now that we are the official opposition, like she was trying to sort of, I mean, as they do, frame the loss as not a loss, but a change of job. Like we're just moving laterally now as the official opposition, we are going to carry through these priorities. I think her message was very much, and I think she even literally said this, to progressive Albertans, like you are not lost in the wilderness now. There is still someone there going to bat on those causes. We are not going to give up. Um, And I think, too, that feeds into how divisive this campaign was. I mean, you had two entirely different... Visions for the province. You had a ton of mudslinging and ad hominem attacks. And so I think it was sort of her way of saying, like, we are not dropping the banner we've been carrying to this point, even though we no longer are in charge.
2: And and they have 20-something MLAs, which is a, a substantial number yeah. I think one of the significant developments that it'll probably be a while before we see the effects of it is that all the the little parties in Alberta were wiped out electorally right. there yeah. there you know there were a few liberal MLAs there were a small handful of uh, Alberta party which was also kind of center right if the liberals were center left MLAs they're all gone, they're all gone. there are two parties in yeah. the legislature That's it's crazy. clear who the opposition is yeah um, and uh, so maybe there will be less fighting on that score we might see a dynamic I mean you know four years is a long time in politics and the NDP could screw up the UCP could screw up and some other party comes in and so on but I think we might see something a little more like the BC model Mm. where you sort of swing Mm -hmm. fairly clearly back and forth from one party to the next
0: so interesting to me that she pulled quite highly M- much higher than Kenny but that she still you know wasn't enough
1: I think you saw like an implicit recognition of that in the fact that Kenny kept packaging her with Trudeau he was yes. fighting a proxy right. war he was fighting mm-hmm. the the Notley Trudeau alliance Trudeau being spectacularly unpopular in Alberta particularly yeah. at this moment and so you, you saw him sort of realize that kind of yeah. r- running head-to-head with her in terms of their personal appeals not so good Um, So he was trying to make her sort of an adjunct of the federal government. But also the moment and and the sentiment in Alberta, I think, just favored the UCP enormously. And also, obviously, the uniting of the right. Like the straight up, the electoral math, Mm -hmm. the economic anxiety and frustration, and kind of the moment, the winds of sort of furious change. They were just, they all were a perfect kind of fit for the UCP to to do what it did.
2: Just as as the conditions were very fluky for the NDP to win last time. True. Right, A split right. right-wing vote. True. Yeah. Um, I, people were furious with Jim Prentice over right. the the deal that he struck with the Wild Rose at the time, but the, the rump of the Wild Rose party was still running and so on. Like, it, it really took yeah. some remarkable circumstances to get Nolly elected in the first place. Yeah.
0: Um, so a few have come out in the aftermath on on Twitter. I was thinking of um, Conservative MP Lisa Raitt saying, you know, let this be a lesson to to politicians out there that nasty politics and smear campaigns don't work. She's obviously referring to Rachel Notley in this case. Um, I mean, is this is this valid? Uh, my question then is is can you have an optimistic campaign in this day and age? Does that work? Is it true that? Kenny's campaign was not nasty and smearish in any way?
2: I, I think every election is its own thing, and sometimes yeah. nasty works, and sometimes people are, are in a mood for sunny ways. Uh, particularly, if, you know, looking at the last federal election, Stephen Harper and, and his conservatives, their style was not mm-hmm. cheerful. And after a certain number of years, people say, maybe cheerful is what we're in the mood <laughs> for now.
0: I'm,
2: I'm positive. Um, and on the flip side, in Ontario, Doug Ford ran a fairly nasty campaign. I mean, he always had a smile on his face, but the substance of it was you, the liberals have destroyed this province and you really need us to fix it. And that worked. Yeah. So it depends I the, the pendulum swings and it's a uh, 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 many complicated factors go into it. I think broadly speaking, I, I think there is credible scholarship on this that says that nasty campaigning and negative campaigning does work, yeah. that it shrinks the electorate. It co- it makes people turn off voting. But it works within that shrunken pool for the people who do it. Right. So you do get a larger share of a smaller pie. And yeah. that's why I think there is a tendency for political campaigns to turn negative.
0: Yeah. I feel
2: like- All the time.
0: Yeah. You have, to, you have to read the scene for sure. But I mean, as soon as Notley went on the defensive, she positioned herself as an opposition. I feel like that was almost a dangerous slope because people get in their head that you aren't placed to be the next you're premier. You're doomed. You're doomed. And you're admitting yeah. you're doomed. Yeah. And who wants to
2: vote for someone who admits they're doomed?
0: Right. Well, we've got six conservative provinces leading into the uh, federal election. And I got to say it, not a single female sits at that table.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. all gone.
0: Not great in 2019. There's not There's a Prince
2: great. Edward Island election coming up. All the party leaders there are men.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also remarkable, too, how closely aligned on big issues the Provincial conservative governments are at this moment. Mm. Like you, sometimes might get different shades of blue or f- flavors mm-hmm. or points of focus, and they are they seem remarkably aligned right now. Um, it, it feels like just this wall of united opposition to to Trudeau, which yes. will be interesting to see how that plays out on a f- Fed Prov level as yeah. as we get into the federal election. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So speaking of provincial drama, there's a court challenge taking place in Ontario right now over the federal government's carbon pricing plan. This week, Ontario's Court of Appeal heard from Ontario's lawyers about why Ottawa's Greenhouse Gas Pollution Pricing Act is unconstitutional. It also heard from federal government lawyers about the desperate need for climate action and why, quote, it's an urgent threat to humanity. So this act puts an additional charge on uh, gasoline, industrial polluters, and other fossil fuel producers. Ontario lawyer uh, Josh Hunter said Ontario would take necessary steps to reduce carbon emissions without having to implement this province-wide tax. What is the argument for it being... Unconstitutional? Is it about like the amount of power that the federal government would yield? This
2: okay. is sir, this is. I am not a lawyer. But this I is know, kind of know, in my sure. wheelhouse. Yeah. So if you will accompany me, okay. Into I, mean, the weeds, I, mean, I mean, let's do it. There are, I, I, and I, I am not a lawyer, but I have been writing about this for a long time. There are two basic arguments. One is just that the carbon tax is so massively sweeping that it covers so many fields of endeavor that it amounts to a huge expansion, an unconstitutional expansion of federal regulation that you know does things like implicitly regulates what kinds of cars people drive when they drive uh, how much they drive how they heat their homes uh, building right. standards that sort of thing not directly but at, as sort of at one remove and that that is means the federal government is barging into a lot of areas where the provincial governments constitutionally get to regulate. And to my mind, that is the weaker argument Mm. um, because there are a lot of things the federal government does that do things like that. Um, and the federal government's counter to that is that t- t- carbon emissions and greenhouse gases and climate change are, they're a global scale problem mm-hmm. and it's appropriate for the federal government to respond. And this is saved by w- some of the catch-all clauses in the constitutions that give the federal government a lot of power.
0: Right. So the t-
2: second argument, oh, gosh. which is the more technical one and which I will treat as briefly as I can, but I was studying up, uh, is that... This is a tax, and it, you can't just put in a tax the way the federal government has done it. The right. federal government has broad powers to tax things, but it, they have to do it in legislation. They have to pass a law saying, we are going to tax this thing. And- This thing is structured, although everyone calls it a carbon tax, as a regulatory charge, which is more convenient for the federal government to administer. They can change the amounts. They can decide how they're going to run the rebates. It's all basically left up to the minister of the cabinet. But goes the argument, Hmm. this is a tax. This is really a tax that you have to do in legislation, not set in regulations by a minister. And that is... Probably true. Uh, and right now, as we speak, the federal government is giving the counterarguments to that.
0: But can, can could you argue that it's not a tax because of the rebate element?
2: No. Well you can't. Um, is one of their arguments, right? That is you, you, you can't. Yeah. And the, uh, the, the 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 argument is that a regulatory charge. The, so the reason why this is unconstitutional—that argument—is is that a regu- regulatory charge has to have some connection between the charge oh. and the thing the money is used for.
0: Okay, that's right. So if
2: you got like a shipping registry, and you—if you, ha- if you oh. run- have a ship, you have to register it, and you are going to charge you money for it. To run the system, that is allowed as a regulatory charge. But the provincial argument here is that the rebates are not really being spent on the thing that the money is being collected for. Yes, the money is going back, but in the law, they don't have to. And the amounts change and it's not that it's a stealth tax, which is not cool.
0: That's complicated because, yeah, like they could use it on whatever they please. They Re- could, households yes. Households could check. Oh,
2: yeah. The federal government can use it for whatever they right. please. They are choosing to give it back to households. Oh, I see,
0: I see. But right. also
2: households can, the province argues, households can spend it on more gas if they want.
0: I was I was reading some some commentary that Ontario has been reducing carbon emissions for quite some time. Um, why don't you just let us you know, leave us alone or something like literally? Well, that
1: literally. was literally what one of the judges yeah. said, and this is the clip that then has become a conservative ad, which some um. people have some pretty big issues with. This is sort of unusual that they've allowed cameras in the courtroom Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you have the the PCs clipping this video and then Doug Ford tweeting it out where you had a judge questioning one of the the federal government's lawyers and saying, I think it's 22% Ontario has already cut its uh, its emissions because of closing down coal-fired power plants which was done under the previous Liberal government and the current PC government despite hating with the fire of a thousand suns everything the previous Liberal (laughs) government did is saying, we've already cut it by 22%. And so you have this this exchange where the judge says, why not just leave them alone? You're trying to get them to 30%. They're already at 22 the The, the federal government lawyer's response was, I forget what term she used, but basically that it's not about Ontario. It's about Ooh, across right. the board that they need to set a sort of like a disincentive level or something. Mm. I forget what the, what the terminology was, but that they need to put a price on pollution across the board so that everyone is disincentivized to, to mm-hmm. use to, to, to use so much fossil fuels.
2: The argument is the the reason the federal argument for making this a national program, yeah, like, a national yeah. policy, is that if Ontario, having already reduced its emissions, didn't have any sort of carbon price, then business would just flock to Ontario because they could pollute there without mm. having to pay right. for it. And so you need a national policy that covers every province, more or less, at at least equivalently, if not equally.
0: The hearing ends today, so we'll see where that proceeds. Mm -hmm. Okay. On Monday, the world saw Paris's iconic Notre Dame Cathedral go up in flames. A massive fire consumed the 850-year-old landmark, destroying the roof and the main spire. However, the, the main structure... The bell towers were saved. The uh, building was undergoing renovations at the time, and amazingly, uh, many religious statues were were taken down from the top of the building just days before, mm-hmm. or else they would you know would have probably been um, affected. The fire burned for around nine solid hours before it was it was controlled. There is an investigation, but it is being seen as accidental. Um, uh, there was no one killed. There was one firefighter injured, I believe. French President Emmanuel Macron has called on international support to help repair the building. Um, already, I think, about almost a billion dollars has been raised. And he's also put out a call for designs. So, Shannon, you were an art history major. I was.
1: <laughs> yeah. Have you been I have. There? Uh, I was okay. there most recently. I didn't go inside. I was there about three years ago. But I I I was there when I was in my sort of early twenties. Inside, um,
0: what were your yeah. feelings like?
1: It was being there it was awful. And, it was yeah. like it was it was just awful to watch that. That is one of, I think you could you might argue that's one of the five most beautiful buildings humanity has ever produced. It is just an extraordinary piece of art and a living piece of art that still hosts mass. That is still a touchstone for the city of Paris. Um, mm. it was just like, it was surreal and awful to see yeah. those, those red flames shooting out of it. And then to see the, you know, the glowing timbers and yes. the roof collapsing in, um, it, it's, and, and it's, it was kind of remarkable. Like it was sad, but it was beautiful in a way too, to see, you know, all of Twitter kind I of know. mourning and horrified to see those images of Parisians on their knees in the streets, praying and watching, um, like I'm not a religious person. I was raised Catholic and mostly what I got from that is an enduring and insane sense of guilt that I'll never get rid of. (laughs) So like that is not a current part of my life. But I think that I think that the production of buildings like Notre Dame is sort of an example of. Kind of almost an accidental touch of the divine in, you know, the medieval church was a huge um, source of political power and money, and it wasn't, you know, entirely this sort of purified reaching for the divine. It it was very much a political entity, but it produced these unbelievable works of of engineering Mm. and artistry that that then to see how much they've come to mean to everyone, I I found really quite beautiful and remarkable. Yes. Um, I agree. Yeah. So it's, and it's, it's, it's interesting that they, they've talked a lot about saving the artifacts Mm. within the church itself, but the church is an Mm. artifact, right? Like it's such a perfect, beautiful example of, of French Gothic architecture. Um, and and the whole thing, like, part of what I think makes those spa- spaces feel so sacred is, like, I'm so nerding out here. Like, I am right in the weeds oh, and you need good. to tell me to stop. No, no, it's but, good. So the whole thing about Gothic architecture, what makes it so beautiful and what makes those spaces so remarkable to walk into is they were built on the idea that to create a very beautiful space is to elevate you out of earthly life and get you a little closer to the heavens. So to walk wow. into this beautiful soaring space where the light is a little bit purple because the glass, the stained glass is all blue and red is to take you out of your medieval peasant life and to get you a little closer to God. Um, Now, again, you could unpack the ways in which that serves political means and that's all there. But they really are really beautiful, remarkable spaces. That church is so soaring and tall and the idea of bringing in so much light and literally getting as close to God as they could build. Eventually, when they got more and more ambitious with Gothic cathedrals, they started to collapse in on themselves because they would make them leggier and taller. Hmm. And that's where you get innovations like flying buttresses, like the spider legs that poke out of Notre Dame. That's to keep the walls from collapsing out under the weight of the domes. So they just kept, getting more and more ambitious until they started literally collapsing on themselves. But Notre Dame is kind of this beautiful, cohesive, coherent, intact example of,
2: of French Gothic.
1: Anyway, it, and yeah. It's, a,
2: it's a, a piece of history, living history, as you say, that is built for God by the Catholic Church, but it's over time it's become for everyone. Yeah. If you are a person lucky enough to get to go to Paris in your life, you get to see this place that millions upon millions of people have seen and walked into and experienced in essentially the same way for centuries, and cool. you you can do it. If your children get to go to Paris, they can have that same experience that everyone has had yeah. before them. Um, and it's it's wor- worked into literature. They're, you know, the Hunchback of Notre Dame is, like, yeah. uh, and it it is such a uh, an icon, so to yeah. speak. That yeah. the idea. I mean, my first thought when I saw it, the first tweets was this is a hoax that's this is an elaborate video designed yeah, right. for people to, oh, yeah. it's a fake designed to get people to, to retweet and then someone will show how easily and then there were more really? sources and more images from different perspectives and I thought it was
0: terrorism I'm not gonna that, that's dark but I did your colleague Scott Gilmore wrote an interesting piece about it and in a such a world where we're all divided and, and co- not connected in many ways there was such a unifying experience
1: yeah like that. there's still a common touchstone you know everyone I saw a few people dunking on it and I really didn't have time for it saying oh the tragedy of Notre Dame is just an excuse for people to brag oh, that yeah. they've been to Paris or post their photos and that is not remotely how I read people's response to that like I am the first to sort of roll my eyes when a celebrity dies and all of a right, sudden everyone right. who's had any tangential connection to them <laughs> is, is rending their garments I don't think that's what this was I think this was people authentically even if you have no even if you're not an art history dork like me if you go to Paris that's probably going to be on your top three or four items, yeah. things that you're going to try to see, even if you're just checking them off like a checklist, Apparently, it's, it's, it is a common, it's, it's a common experience of, yeah. of humanity and art, even if that's not your bag. Apparently it t- has more visitors than, than the Eiffel Tower. I think it's like 13 million people yeah. a year or something,
0: yeah, something like, like, that. like that. Yeah,
2: it, and to drag this whole thing back to earth, one of the things that fascinated me about this is yeah. the rescue effort, the, the right. firefighters running to this thing. And going in to the structure to try to save it, the the chaplain of the Paris Fire Brigade, uh, Father Jean-Marc Fournier, who like, I mean he, he was at the Bataclan massacre, he was at the Charlie Hebdo attack, he was in the he was a chaplain in the French military and survived uh, uh, an ambush in Afghanistan. He was the guy running in and telling the firefighters, "Here's where you go. Here's here are the things you get." Take them out, and this a human chain formed of I, firefighters right. and municipal employees and others to carry wow. out some of these artifacts that, uh, whether they have religious m- significance or not, or were just middle aged frauds, middle ages frauds that that have been around for a thousand <laughs> years. The way people worked together to try to save as many of these things as possible, and the way they risked their lives to save as many of these things as possible, is extraordinary. Like you've seen a lot of
1: fire experts comment these, these are buildings that seem designed to burn. Mm, You know, you had uh, the wooden roof and the timbers up there. Um, yeah, I found the photos the the next day. I mean, the photos of the fire were like nightmarish and surreal, but the photos the next day I found so heartbreaking and beautiful in a way because you see the church itself still intact. It's stone, right? It's not going anywhere. Mm. But then you see pieces of the vault Mm. busted in and these charred, Mm. Like, it looks like a kid's game of pickup sticks. Charred pieces of timber fallen in the middle of the nave and the crucifix still standing. Like, you see hmm. both the touches of grandeur that would have been there on Sunday afternoon had you been there or Monday afternoon earlier before the fire and then the destruction. It, it's, just, yeah. uh, it's just jarring. I think, too, there's something about... Fire, or maybe here I'm projecting because I was one of those little kids with major fire phobia. Yeah, me too. I, there's, I mean, you make the point certainly. Notre Dame has been through the ringer before during the French Revolution. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't particularly damaged during the wars, but there's something about the 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 total consuming power of fire and the fact that yeah. it doesn't care and can't be stopped. Like there was, I remember there was a house in my neighborhood when I was a kid that, that burned and, and a woman died and I didn't see it. I think I came home long after it was over, but it sort of instilled in me this deep fear. And yeah. I think seeing this building that a lot of people have beautiful vacation memories of, or they're nerds like me who have studied it and, and thought it was, it was sublime and seeing the fire consume it. It's not, it's not like a man-made tragedy. It's not a thing that can be stopped no. by force. It's there's something so destabilizing and so sort yeah. of saddening about that,
0: and the, and the actual images of fire. I mean, it's so dramatic, right? The height and the blaze and the width, like the it's oh, it looked you like know a mouth of hell consuming yeah, this like right.
1: temple to God. Like, that's what it looks like. Very
0: dramatic, about it. well, there's some big time donors coming in and 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 playing their part, and so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it um, rolls out. But we are mourning that cathedral today. Uh, all right, that's all for us today. Twitter handles, please.
2: I am at David Reifley.
0: I am at S. Proudfoot. And I am at Turnbull. Sarah, have a great long weekend. See you next time. Cash has been around for thousands of years, but Canadians are increasingly turning to new methods, such as mobile wallets and contactless solutions to make everyday payments. No matter what the future of payments holds, Interact will be there to help Canadians transact with confidence across multiple platforms and devices. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.